Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a weekend where we are reminded and can remember and can celebrate freedom and political freedom and economic freedom. God, may we never take that for granted. Lord, that is a gift and a blessing, and we are so incredibly thankful. And Lord, even more so than that, we are grateful for the spiritual freedom that we find in salvation through you. And again, Lord, may we never, ever take that for granted. Thank you for this morning, Lord, and and as we continue to study your word and uh, understand who you are better, that uh, by your word and and by your Holy Spirit, that we would know you better and love you better. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. There's a story, I don't know if it's true or if it's just legend or if it's really, if it really happened. I hope it really happened because it's a great story. Um, But the story is that it was in, I think it was a seminary somewhere or maybe a Bible college. I think it was a seminary. And the professor had assigned um, his class, it was either like a a paper or a presentation or a sermon on the Good Samaritan and really kind of made a big deal out of it. And, you know, this was a large part of their grade or like a final project and really kind of hyped this up. And so this was kind of their 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 final thing on this good samaritan but then what he did on top of that was that he coordinated with the professor for all of his students he coordinated with the professor at their previous class to delay the student and then he got people from like the acting department to basically like run interference with that individual who would be running late and pretend to have some kind of need like while they are late for class to see if they would stop and help the person or if they would just blow them off and and head to class, right? And then I don't know when they got to class if he had all the actors show up or something like that. But um, And one of the reasons why I love this story is because, you know, that professor was working so hard to instill in these students that this is not just academic, that, that this needs to find a place in, in heart and in action. And this isn't just something that we study with our mind and teach to others, but this is really something that you have to live out even when it's incredibly inconvenient and even by all appearances, like it's going to cost you. So I, I hope that that story is true. I don't know if it is or not. Um, it's fascinating to me because the story or the idea or the concept is so popular that several states not Nebraska, and that probably needs to change. Several states actually have laws nicknamed Good Samaritan Laws, where if you help someone, um, you know, there's an accident or something like that, and you try to help them, then they cannot turn around and sue you for rendering, rendering aid. And so um, a lot of states, I, I mean, at least half of them, have something nicknamed Good Samaritan Laws. And so just the idea is so popular that, it, that it's even well-known in, in secular culture and, and, and even legislature and, and that kind of thing. So we are, we're going through um, the book of Luke, and the plan is that we're just going to make it as far as we can uh, this year, and then we'll, we'll start up a, a new series in January. Luke is the longest account of Jesus. 
Um, just as a reminder, right? So in the New Testament, we have four accounts of Jesus. We have nicknamed, or we call those the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we start off with the life of Jesus. Then we have a first-hand account of the early church with a really heavy emphasis on the Holy Spirit. That's the book of Acts. And then we basically have a whole bunch of letters where leaders in the early church wrote letters to individuals or groups of people or whole churches, advising them, correcting them, do this, stop doing this, good job, you're being an idiot, that kind of thing. And so we have this whole collection of letters. And then we have one at the end, Revelation, which is kind of this prophetic experience about end times and, and that kind of thing. And so that's, that's our breakdown of, of the New Testament. But because Jesus is God, the more we understand Jesus, the more we understand the rest of Scripture. So we've been going through Luke um, to understand Jesus even better. And last week we looked at this amazing transition in the ministry of Jesus. He had primarily been working up in, in the region of Galilee, up north. And then there's, there's kind of these, this, this little cluster of events that that may seem disconnected, but they're really quite remarkable in that it's these little stories on how Jesus is God and really identifying that and coming out of that and people recognizing that uh, and coming out of that, it talks about him setting his face to Jerusalem. And so now we're going to watch as he journeys from Galilee down to Jerusalem for the last time. And it's kind of this remark. One gentleman once referred to it as the death death march of Jesus. Because he knew where he was going, he knew what was going to happen, he knew that he would die and be crucified, and so we have this collection of stories as he travels down to Jerusalem for the last time. And so that's kind of where we've made this transition. And I think one of the things that happens too is that we see a little bit of a shift from not so much the big crowds, but more like Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law as he gets closer to Jerusalem, where we see more of these interactions. So today we're looking at the the story of the Good Samaritan, very famous, right? Lots of people know this, super common, really well known, but really hard to apply. (laughs) Really, and we're going to get into that. So um, let's jump into the first part of this. I am in Luke, I'm in chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 25 um, and then um, go just to, to 29 for this first part. So this is kind of the setup. So I'm in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, so that's Jesus, to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, this is Jesus, he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But, but he, desiring to justify himself, so this is a lawyer, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So a lawyer or a scribe was, was someone who could um, learn, who knew how to read and write. We kind of take that for granted, not so common back then. Um, they could read and write, and scribes were responsible for making copies of Scripture because you had to do everything by hand, and you can't just hit print on the computer like someone's got a write that thing out, right? And so books and copies were, were super rare. Um, and so one of the responsibilities was making co- uh, copies. And so then they were often considered just people who knew um, Scripture and knew the law really well and were sought after for advice and that kind of thing. It's interesting because the text tells us that the lawyer stood up to test Jesus. 
And then later on that the lawyer wanted to justify himself. So, like, we really don't kind of get the inner workings of this guy's mind other than to say that this is in some capacity confrontational. Like, this is not just an innocent question. Like, he's not just like, hey, I'm really curious because I want to know if I'm on the right track. Like, in some way, he is challenging, pushing, like he's setting a trap, something like that, right? So this, this is a confrontational moment. And the initial question is fantastic. Great question. How do I inherit eternal life? And, and he has a great answer, right? He responds with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, um, and your neighbor as yourself. So now we kind of take that for granted because we hear it so often. Um, but he actually pulled from two different passages in the Old Testament. One of them would have been Deuteronomy 6.5 um, called the Shema. Um, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as uh, frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So he pulled from that and then he also pulled from Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, kudos to this guy, because he got it right. Right? Like, high marks, nailed it, fantastic. Conversation probably could have ended there. We all would have been good. But then it has this line that he wanted to justify himself. Not really sure what was going on there. But he wanted to justify himself, so he pushes it, and he says, well, who is my neighbor? Well, here's where it gets a little bit interesting. Because Jews would only consider other Jewish people their neighbors, and they would not include Samaritans or Gentiles. Now, let me give you a couple quick definitions, okay? So, the Jewish people, right, like they are all grouped because they have a common ancestor. Abraham's their ancestor, so they're all like, you know, second, third, 18th cousin, whatever. Like, they're all actually related. So, you have that group of people, and then they just refer to the rest of the world as Gentiles. So that's pretty much all of us. That's just everyone else. Um, but then you had this other group called Samaritans, and they were a group of Jews who had intermarried and mingled with Gentiles, which was kind of a big no no. So, Israel was, the, the, the nation of Israel was conquered, and most Jews were hauled away to captivity, but the poorest of the poor were left behind. Well, and then, like, other foreigners were brought in by kind of like the, the, the ruling kingdom. And so those two groups intermarried. Um, and then, uh, and so that's basically where the Samaritans came from. So the Jews that were hauled away eventually came back, and they wanted to build a temple. Book of Ezra, Book of Nehemiah. And the Samaritans offered to help build the temple. And the returning Jews said no. And they were probably kind of rude about it, but they said no. And so then the Samaritans began to oppose the rebuilding of the temple. The Samaritans actually eventually built their own temple. But then a group of Jews went and des destroyed that temple. So you can see how like there's some cultural tensions between the, the two groups. Um, at one point, I didn't realize this, at one point they're trying to slander Jesus. So they come up with like the worst insults that they can come up with. And one is to call him demon-possessed. That's a pretty good one. And the other one is to call him a Samaritan. 
um, in John 8, 48, the Jews answered him, so this is Jesus, and they're, this, remember, they're being really mean here, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Like, that's their insult, right? Like, it doesn't land much punch with us. But back then, I guess that was really bad. So anyways, these two groups hated each other. And so anytime you see Samaritans referenced in Scripture, I mean, especially the New Testament, just know that there's this strong, like, racism, race, racial hatred be, kind of going on in the background, and that if Jesus was interacting with the Samaritan, then it's probably scandalous in, in some capacity because they, they just hate each other. Well, as many of you know, the Samaritan is the hero in this story. So you already know that this is going to get a little bit crazy here, right? So the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? But he's only considering other Jews his neighbor. So then Jesus tells this story. Verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, took care of him, and the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, this is the lawyer, he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the first two to walk by are the priest and the Levite, right? So a priest was a physical descendant of Aaron. They had all the, like, primary priestly duties in the temple. I mean, you know, so presumably, like, these are, like, all of our great spiritual leaders. Like, you know, these guys should be, you know, really on top of their game when it comes to morality and good behavior and, you know, some of the best religious people in Jewish culture, right? That's the spiritual leaders. So there's the priest, and he walks right on by. And then the Levites. So Levites were a specific tribe, and they were descended from a guy named Levi, and they were to help the priests with the temple duties. And so there also would have been kind of this element of, like, spiritual leadership, and people who are supposed to be well-behaved. And so Jesus has kind of, sort of, just picked two of the best representatives of the Jewish community and said, well, they just walked by and did nothing. And then the Samaritan arrives. Right? Now, remember, for everyone else, this is the part where they, like, spit in the dirt and, like, mutter racial slurs, right? Like, Ugh, the Samaritan, you know, I won't, but you can picture it. So the Samaritan shows up, and basically using his first aid kit of the day, he tends to the man's wounds, right? And that was very nice of him, and legitimately, he could have stopped there and just left him beside the road because he bandaged him up, but he didn't. The Samaritan puts him on his own animal or donkey or whatever it was he was riding, and he brought him to town. And that was also very nice. And legitimately, he could have just left him at, like, the front gate in the hopes that someone else would pick him up and take care of him and that kind of thing, but he didn't. So he takes him to an inn, so there's a place where someone could look after him and give him some continued care, and that was very nice, and he could have just left him there and let the guy settle his own hospital bill after he had gone, but he didn't. 
He gives the innkeeper two, two denarii to look after him, um, which he probably needed because he's probably going to need a few days' recovery. A denarii was a day's wages, so he gave him two days' wages. How many days that buys you at an inn, I don't know, but I don't know if that's a few days or a few weeks, but that's what he paid him. And that was nice of him. And he could have walked away and felt pretty good about himself, but he didn't. He tells the innkeeper, when I return, I will cover any additional expenses the man has accrued. He he blindly commits himself to whatever kind of bills or debt this guy racks up. And the injured man is now able to recover fully and completely without fear of debt and without fear of being kicked out early, right? Like, his recovery is completely, completely taken care of. I'm on the fire department. I will drive ambulance. I have driven a lot of people to the ER, uh, taken a lot of people in, in, in there. We do not pay your medical bills, right? Like we pick you up, like it's, it's a very expensive transport. We pick you up, we take you there, we get you in their bed, and then we're done, right? Like that's kind of the extent of, extent of, our, of our niceness, like pay your own stuff. Verse 33, Jesus is talking. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Every time I read that, I just picture him with just like bad attitude and clenched teeth and muttering under his breath, because I have children and I've seen this, right? Um, The one who showed him mercy. And he couldn't even say the word. He couldn't even say Samaritan. That would have been quicker, right? Who showed him mercy? the Samaritan. Nope, couldn't say it. The one who showed him mercy, right? Like, you know, the group that shall not be named. And Jesus ends with, you go and do likewise. Here's one of the first things I would point out, is that as much as Jesus answered the question, he really didn't answer the question at all, right? Rather than just say, because the original question was, who's my neighbor? And rather than just say, everybody's your neighbor, even the people you hate, Jesus goes on this story about mercy and compassion to people that you don't like. Like, he goes way beyond the initial question. And rather to get drawn into some kind of debate with this lawyer about who is my neighbor, is it only the Jewish people or not the Jewish people, like, rather than just going there, he goes way beyond that question about basically the story of here's how you should be a good neighbor to be honest like i i i also really kind of struggled with this passage this week a lot um and and in retrospect it was really kind of a version of who is my neighbor and like do i just show compassion to everybody and everything or like like getting real practical how does this how does this flesh itself out right the, um, you know, so the, the, we talked about it a bit last week, but, you know, the, the abortion debate is, is kind of quieting down, not really. But, but in that, we, you know, we, we saw people who were just fiercely dedicated to, to, to this idea that, that, that you should be able to, to kill your own children, you know. And, and I'm looking at this story, and I'm like, so, like, am I nice to, to, to this idea, to people who push this idea, or not? Or do I, you know, like, do I just kind of quietly let them have their own way? Like, what? Like, how does that story impact those conversations or contending for those issues? 
right? And even just on a broader level, right? Like there are just, there are wicked, evil people in the world who would gladly do your harm and, and take all your stuff. Like what about them? Like just be really nice to them all the time? And even, uh, frankly, to, to sit down and be like, okay, Henderson, like who do we really hate? Like who are our Samaritans? You know, like, who's, who's the group of people where everyone just gets, like, mad and mutters and, and, and says inappropriate things? And I will—it was interesting. To, to your credit, I will say this, that in my nine years of living in Henderson, I don't—I actually don't recall a single racist comment. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor and people know better, but I, I honestly don't. Like, just kind of a broad, sweeping statement about some kind of race or ethnicity, you know, positive or negative, right? Like, haven't heard it. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor. Maybe we're not racist. Maybe people just don't get out much. I'm not sure, but I haven't heard it. So kudos to this community. But Scripture talks about contending against demonic worldviews. We, we do have this duty to stand up in injustice, like trying to identify a, a people group that we hate or have continued issue with. I told, I've told you before how I was able to visit Belfast, Northern Ireland for a day. There's a massive wall that divides the city between the Protestants and the Catholics. Um, all, and just the, 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 the violence is, is remarkable. Um, and this big wall has big gates that they close at night to keep the gangs from warring w- with one another. Police stations are basically military compounds. Uh, when we were there, it was like 20 years ago, but when we were there, they were saying the local hospital has become the world leader on knee reconstruction surgery because the gangs have so often will shoot each other in the kneecap as punishment for, for doing something. And so this hospital has had to rebuild so many knees. They're the world leader on, on knee reconstruction. And so it would be really easy to just kind of, you know, parachute into a situation like that and ignore all the the the... the pain and, and the hurt that's gone on for generations, you know, and just start tossing around the story of the Good Samaritan. Be nice to each other, you know, Good Samaritan. But like, what for us here today, right? Like, when you walk out the door after this, what are the behaviors that need to be reinforced or corrected as a result of the Good Samaritan story? Perhaps you caught it. As, so as I was working through those examples, there were a couple mistakes I was making. I thought initially just that the point of the story was to just be nice to everybody. Right? Like, especially our enemies, like, be super nice to them. Just be nice to everyone. But that's not actually what, what Jesus said. And even at the very end of the story, you kind of get the sense that that's not actually the point of the story. S- story. The lawyer, the bitter, mad, racist lawyer gets it right and gives us the point of the story. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. What is the remarkable thing that Jesus does for us? He shows us mercy. Right? We deserve death. We deserve destruction. We deserve hell. Like, like, look, everybody here, before you even made it to church on a Sunday, sinned enough for hell. Okay? Okay? So, like, we're just all in that camp. But, we repent, we confess, we accept Jesus as Lord, then we receive mercy. And for those who want it, it's there. So a Samaritan comes upon a half-dead Jew, 
two groups of people that hate each other, and one shows mercy to the other one. And that is what Jesus highlights at the end of this story. And, and it's amazing because they, they didn't even know each other. One commentary said something interesting. He said, Jesus never called this a parable. So we actually don't know if this happened or not. Like if it was a parable, it would have been a parable. But Jesus doesn't do that. So it, it, this may have been something that had happened and was known. Or maybe Jesus made it up. We're not sure. But when, when I was wrestling with this passage, I, I got sucked into that trap that this was just about being nice to people. And, you know, be nice to everyone, especially your neighbor. But it is so much deeper than that. So much deeper, right? This is about mercy. Mercy is compassion and forgiveness towards someone when it is in your power to harm or punish them. Right? When you have the power, when you have the authority to bring about punishment and harm, instead, you offer compassion and forgiveness that is mercy. Here's a story that I absolutely love that actually has a lot of parallels to this, okay? Neat, neat story. So when 9-11 happened, right, President Bush, the authorities, they closed all American airspace. They just told all the planes, you land and you stay on the ground until we give you permission to fly again, right? Like everything is shut down. There are no planes in the air anywhere, right? So very bold, an amazing move. All planes were told to just go land at the nearest airport. Gander, Newfoundland town of about 11,000 people over on the east coast um, when you're coming across the Atlantic into Canada one of the first airports that you will encounter is Gander Newfoundland even though it's not really used much anymore but that's one of the, the, the first places 38 planes had Gander Newfoundland as their nearest airport and landed in this town of 11,000 people 7,000, uh, 6,500 and like a couple dogs, almost 7,000 people landed in a town smaller than York, Nebraska with no options on, on what to do. And they all had to be, uh, like, if it was international, they had to be processed through customs, all, all this kind of stuff. And, like, just Google Gander, Newfoundland, 9-11. Like, not now, I'm talking, but, you know, later on. Like, Google those, those three things. But, but, I mean, with, with, with a mercy and with a compassion and with a hospitality that honestly could match any Mennonite family reunion, that town welcomed and hosted 7,000 people. Um, people just welcomed complete strangers into their home. Um, strangers were giving keys to home and access to cars and take the car for, for what you need. Um, the guy with the Salvation Army got a call that said, we need 3,000 meals by 6 p.m. tonight. And he didn't know what to do. He said it's a small town. It's not like there's some big kitchen that you can just commandeer. So somehow he managed to get on the local news station, and he said, we need, we need 3,000 meals by 6 p.m. He said when he went back on at 5 p.m. to repeat the petition, they only needed 300. And by 6 p.m., they had 3,000 meals. Um, one teacher talks about, so school is canceled. All the teachers went home and just found every bed linen that, that they could find and then brought it back to the school. And that one individual building housed 700 people. And the school teacher said she did not sleep for 72 hours. And, and she goes, it was amazing. She goes, whenever we would need something, then suddenly it would just appear, and I still don't know how that happened. One lady actually said, I actually don't know of anyone who, who didn't 
do something. And the whole storyline, someone actually turned it into a Broadway musical and it won a Tony Award. It's called Come, Away, uh, Come, Come From Away. Right? And, and the churches, it's kind of in the background of the stories, how the churches were involved with this as, as well, too. And it was, like, you, perhaps you could say that, well, that wasn't necessarily mercy, that was more hospitality, and, and I, I can see that argument, that that would be kind of a fascinating discussion, but at the same, same time, I see incredible parallels between what happened in the story of the Good Samaritan and how the people of Gander, Newfoundland, responded to 7,000 stranded passengers. Farming communities have old memories, right? Because people have lived here for so long, their livelihood is connected to that land. Sometimes the land has been passed down through generations. Small towns in general can have old memories. But what this means for a community that has old memories is that you have a lot of opportunities to remember offense. A lot of opportunities. You can easily think of a time when a person or a family or a church or a people group hurt you or your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents. I mean, when, when I moved here, you know, someone was talking about people being st- still upset and it was going back to coming back from World War II and who got the good land first, right? So there are old memories in farming communities. And combine that Like, do you really believe that people can change, or do you actually believe that people can't change? Because if you combine old memories with a belief that people can't change, then you actually have reason to believe that if someone suffers, then they deserve it, and I am happy to watch it happen. Don't. Just don't let the old memories restrict your mercy. Honestly, you probably do have legitimate reason to be mad about something. I'm sure something happened. Yes, people hurt people all the time. That's a thing. You probably do have legitimate reason, but don't. We deserved hell. God gave us mercy. When you see someone suffering, extend mercy. Now, as just a sidebar, as a side note, kind of always need to clarify this. Sometimes earthly courts still need to do what they need to do. There is a place for earthly justice, discipline. Scripture talks about discipline in the home, discipline in the church. Sometimes that still needs to happen. Scripture talks about that. But for today's passages and what we're looking about, whenever possible, as far be it as as within our power, we want to defer to mercy. The other thing is that mercy will cost you, right? Certainly cost the Samaritan, Cost him time, cost him money, made him late for whatever it was where he was going, came back and checked up on the guy, used up all his wine and oil, paying out money, all this stuff. And at first glance, the priest and the Levite lost nothing. But but if we really believe that there is more to this life, and especially the Christian faith, than just money, like, just with your imagination... Play out that relationship between that Jew and that Samaritan over the next six months, over the next year, and you tell me who came out richer in the end, the priest or the Samaritan? Randy Friesen used to tell this story of um, there was an expedition that was going up on Everest, 
and a guy became incapacitated, and so his group left him. Technically, he was still alive, but he was so depleted on oxygen and so incoherent that they said, I mean, it's only a matter of time before he is dead. They left him on the side of the mountain, carried on with the trek. They actually called his wife on a satellite phone and said, your husband is dead. And he was discovered by another group of climbers, and they said he's still alive. And they got oxygen on, and they walked him down, to, walked him down the mountain. Totally hijacked their trip. They never made it to the summit. But they're good friends now, I can tell you that. Who is richer for the memories, for the experiences, for the relationship, for the stories? I mean, if this, tro- if this story is true, like who's richer before God? The payoff is slower. But by almost every metric that matters to us as people of faith, that Samaritan ended up richer and wealthier, and the priest and the Levite remained poor and destitute, unaware of their poverty. There was in, in uh, th- I was watching these videos about Gander, Newfoundland. There's one lady, she had a three-ring binder this thick, full of memories and photos and thank-you letters. Right? That lady experiences a, is experiencing a kind of wealth that you and I can only dream of. Mercy has the appearance of costing you something, and it will, and especially on the front end. But in the long run, I do believe that you're wealthier for it. Who is your neighbor? Mm, most everyone. Including the people you don't like. But if it's within our power to extend mercy, we extend mercy. And it will cost you initially, but in the long run you will be wealthier for it. And bringing it back to Jesus, the main reason why we do all of this is simply because Jesus extended mercy to us first. And so we want to be like Jesus, so we extend mercy like he did. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful story, uh, a remarkable story of um, your love and how you extend mercy to us. And God, what a remarkable um, inspiration and and motivation um, and even really a a command to, to be able to extend mercy to others as we are able. And Lord, I pray for this group, for this community, for this church, that we would be a people of mercy. And Lord, sometimes that looks a lot like good hospitality, um, as we kind of see here, but people of mercy, even when we think we have a right, or maybe we legitimately have a right to to angerness, or, or bitterness, or indifference, or lack of action, that we would still be a gracious people who extend mercy. Because you extended mercy to us, and we want to be like you. Lord, I pray that this church would be rich, in stories of extending mercy. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.